Hey guys, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nerds Talk Movies. My name is Taylor, and I'm going to be your host today. Tristan and Drew are on a short break from the podcasts as we get closer to the release of the greatest comic book movie of all time, The Flash. Uh, So I'm joined with a special guest co-host today, Mr. Donnie Smith. Donnie, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, Ready to talk some Batman, for sure. Oh man, I can't wait to get into this one. This one was a long time coming, and it's been a while since I've seen this movie. I, I just can't wait to get into it. But when's the last time we did an episode together? Was it the Star Wars episode 3 episode? No, uh, I was on the Man of Tomorrow episode, the Superman Man yep, of Yep, that's right. That's right. Yep. We're going to have Donnie on for a few more episodes here in the month of June and July, so be ready to hear his wonderful voice. But let's go ahead and get into our episode today, man. So you saw the episode title. You know the deal. Today we're talking about Batman 1989. Here's a synopsis for Batman 1989, courtesy of IMDb. Quote, The Dark Knight of Gotham City begins his war on crime with his first major enemy being Jack Napier, a criminal who becomes the clownishly uh, homicidal Joker, end quote. And here is some of the main cast for the film, along with director and writer credits. Again, this is coming from IMDb. It was directed by Tim Burton. The story was done by Sam Hamm. The screenplay was done by Sam Hamm and Warren Scarron. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. As for the cast, we have Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Jack Nicholson as Jack Napier slash the Joker, Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale, Robert Wool as Alexander Knox, Michael Gow as Alfred. I believe Michael Gow is the only constant throughout all of the Batman movies. Uh, Pat Hingle also appears as Gordon in all four uh. of the original movies. Speaking of Pat Hingle, <laughs> Pat Hingle as Commissioner <laughs> Jim Gordon, and Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. We're not even getting to talk about it in the actual episode, I think, but man, I really wanted to see Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. Uh, you can just see like a potential Batman movie with him becoming Two-Face, and you're like, okay, there's something there. Yeah, he really would have, he would have done great. Like you said, there's a We'll get into it a little later, but there are a few parts where you can kind of see a little bit of Two-Face starting to creep through, and it's a real shame we didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, So we're getting close to the theatrical release of The Flash, a.k.a., as I said before, the movie that is allegedly the greatest comic book movie of all time. The movie will center on the emotional backstory of Barry Allen, a.k.a. The Flash, but it is also the platform for the return of Michael Keaton as Batman. For many, Michael Keaton is their Batman. He was the person many people think of when the subject of Batman comes up because, well, they grew up with him, playing the character, with Batman 1989 and Batman Returns. And even if someone didn't grow up with those movies, they still may think he is one of, if not the best, live-action Batman to date. So before Tristan, Drew, and I talk about The Flash next week and the return of Michael Keaton as Batman, Donnie and I are here today to do a retrospective on the beloved movie that was one of the pioneers of the superhero movie genre, Batman 1989. Is it fantastic, or do people have some nostalgia goggles on for this one? That's what we're going to talk about here today. Now, Donnie, here's the thing. Tristan and Drew are massive comic nerds. And in my unprofessional opinion, I think they are two of the greatest comic book expert minds out there today. I really do. They are fantastic at what they do, and that is knowing all about comic books. Now, they're not here today. (laughs) So this is usually where I throw it over to them to where they can go into a quick comic corner segment to where they talk about any connections from the comics to this movie or show that we're watching. Donnie, do you have any comic connections you can make here? And if you do, can you also tell the audience a bit about your comic expertise? 
yes. Um, now I am going to go ahead and say that I am not as well versed as Tristan and Drew are. Uh, that's not even a shot to you, by the way. Oh no, no, no! I understand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these guys really know their stuff. Um, fortunately, I'm not that well versed, but when it does come to comics, I do have a pretty decent knowledge, especially with Batman. So, uh. We're talking about connections with the movie, the biggest one that I can think of is The Killing Joke. Now, what makes The Killing Joke so important, just with Batman as a whole, is it was key in the 80s in making Batman dark and gritty again. Because for years, thanks to the success of the Adam West show, the common fan, that's what they thought of when they thought of Batman. Just this goofy, corny television series. But The Killing Joke, along with a few other ones, such as The Dark Knight Returns, took the character back to his original roots of being dark, gritty, and serious. So, but for the most part, this movie really does stand on its own two feet, other than a handful of slight little references, but Killing Joke is probably the biggest one. Yeah, and I think you can see a lot of that dark tone, to an extent, because Mm -hmm. it's still pretty wacky. Yes. Especially with Joker. This movie is still pretty damn wacky. But when you compare Batman 1989, and I think if we watch Batman Returns as well, if you compare those two Burton movies to the Schumacher movies. Oh, yeah. Or to the 1960s Batman series, there is a vast difference. Like yeah, There's a line that is crossed, especially <laughs> there. So I, I get where you're coming from, and especially it does feel like back in the 80s there was that Okay, let's make Batman more serious. Let's make him darker. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael Keaton has talked about in the past that one thing that attracted him to the character is they he wanted the character to be a bit dark. Yeah, that was the big thing for Keaton. And uh, I guess we'll get into this a little bit later, but people hated the idea of Michael Keaton as Batman because they wanted it to be dark. Because Michael Keaton at the time was a comedian. So people were worried that a comedian in the cowl would be just be another Adam West. But uh, not to jump ahead, but I really think he proved everybody wrong there. Oh, I don't think that's a hot take in the slightest. And I will go ahead and spoil my thoughts. I agree with you. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into this thing here, man. Let's talk about our thoughts on Batman 1989 when we were kids. What did you think about this movie growing up? Growing up... um. It wasn't my favorite. I did not like it, but my Batman movie growing up was Batman Forever because I was a huge Jim Carrey kid, and really that's the only reason I liked Forever, growing up anyway. And so every now and again I would go back to 89, and honestly it would freak me out. Uh, Didn't really care for it. But now that I'm, once I got a little bit older, uh, especially throughout high school and I revisited it, to me it is Batman for a number of reasons. It may not be the most comic accurate, but especially now as an adult, it it's probably my favorite live-action Batman movie by a pretty big margin. So I really did like this movie as a kid, but as a kid, you're looking for action. You're looking for yeah. just the, the... You're not thinking about it how our idiot minds do today. Or like, <laughs> okay, the writing doesn't really stand out. Yeah. Some action sequences in this movie are pretty stiff, to say the least. Yeah. Michael Keaton's Batman suit doesn't help. I I feel so fucking bad for Michael Keaton. He, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and evidently, he used that to his advantage because it was so uncomfortable that it made him angry. And so he just kind of used that in his performance. <laughs> but yeah, especially when he turns his head, it's it's pretty rough to watch. Look, I, I bet that Michael Keaton got paid very handsomely. But it's hard not to watch this movie and be like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's just, you look at Michael Keaton moving, you're just like, Jesus, that seems just unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so bad. Ugh. But as a kid, though, you don't really notice any of those things. So I really did like this movie you know, back then. And now I don't think of it as fondly as I would say you do based on everything you've mentioned so far. Yeah. I still think after seeing this, I prefer The Dark Knight, I prefer Batman Begins, and I prefer The Batman. Oh, over yeah. Batman 1989. But that being said, like this is not a bad movie. 
No. By any stretch of means. Like, it's a bit stiff. I, I think that's the best way I could put it in a lot of areas, including dialogue and motivations. Mm-hmm. But it yes. hits it hits a lot of good points. The Whereas, like, if mm-hmm. they didn't hit in the big moments, I would not like this movie. But a big reason I do like this movie, Donnie, is because of two characters. Batman and the Joker. Absolutely. Let's start with Batman. How do you feel about Michael Keaton? It's cliched. I, everybody has said this. It seems like it's just a popular opinion. And I've tried to change my opinion. But personally, he really is my favorite Batman. And I think one of the biggest reasons is, and this kind of goes against everything we've said already, it's almost like he doesn't take it too seriously. Um, I mean, it's serious, but he you know, he's not afraid to crack a joke here and there. And... Also, his Bruce Wayne and Batman really are two different characters, so to speak. This is the way he portrays it. And I feel like a lot of the other actors kind of miss out on that part specifically. I think a lot of it is also Batman doesn't seem like he's the most sane mm-hmm. individual in Gotham City. And you see that with Michael Keaton. Like The thing is, is I think his performance as Bruce Wayne is very underrated. Oh yes, I think everybody talks about just I, I don't I know they're generally talking about yeah him as Batman and Bruce Wayne, but it feels like everybody's also just talking about him in the suit a lot. Yeah, but I think him as Bruce Wayne is vastly underrated here because I love the part wherever Vicky Vale and Knox are attending that party, and Bruce is just following them around, and he's just pulling off like this billionaire persona. They just. Yes. It's just, it works so well there. Michael Keaton has this. There's just this charm that I think you want with Bruce Wayne. This like air of confidence that somebody like I think Ben Affleck absolutely nailed with a. I agree. Yes, and you know something else about his Bruce is that when he's in the Batcave and he's not kind of putting on that you know persona that billionaire persona, you almost get the feeling that he doesn't want to be Batman. And what I mean by that is. He almost wishes he could, you know, like he wishes he could be that persona that he puts on. He wishes he doesn't have to put on the suit and go out every night. He wishes he could find relationships and stuff. And I feel like he even says something similar to that to Vicky. He says something like, uh, like, I wish someone else could do it. Or I, I'm probably getting that quote wrong, but... I feel like that's another aspect of Bruce Wayne that's really underrated in this movie and that other versions don't really get as well. Other than probably Christian Bales, which was the big mm-hmm. point of his entire motivation in The Dark Knight. But yeah, yeah. like you don't really see yeah. that with George Clooney's or Val Kilmer's or uh, special Robert Pattinson. He's just starting out. So you wouldn't yeah. expect that. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I, the thing is too is I don't think anybody's had a necessarily horrendous performance as Batman over the years. No, and I know we're talking about Batman in nineteen eighty nine, but I think when we're talking about like where does he rank, you gotta you kind of gotta talk about all of them. Yeah, I think everybody has the the pros and cons, so to speak, of what they do so well, and sometimes their cons are the material just isn't as great. And I think yes. Ben Affleck is in that list. I think Michael Keaton is in that list sometimes. When just the writing not really being there, but their performances just like exceeding what the material is giving them. So I, I think that's where Michael Keaton really shines. And that's where I would compare him to. Because not mm-hmm. only do I think Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton are probably the two best Batman with yes. Patman, with Pattinson... Potentially being able to get there, depending on how his Bruce Wayne is. Mm-hmm. But also, Michael Keaton's Batman and Ben Affleck's Batman also share another comparison there, Donnie. You want to take a guess where I'm going with this? Affleck and Keaton. Uh, I guess my mind's just slipping. I think, you, uh, I think you've got me. I don't know where you're going with this. They both kill a whole bunch of people. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. All I was right. laughing my ass off this entire movie yeah. when just every every opportunity he could. There's no I shall not kill rule yeah, with no, Batman he's, here. <laughs> no. I always uh, compared him to uh, somebody like Indiana Jones because in those movies, Indiana Jones has a pretty high body count. It's like almost like it doesn't even phase him. And that's how I kind of put this Batman. It's just like... Listen, you're in my way. I'm getting you out of my way. 
if you live through it, great. If not, whatever. I don't care. And it's it's pretty funny looking back in hindsight, knowing, you know, with Batman with his no kill rule nowadays, it's <laughs> it's pretty good. I prefer the no kill rule, just me personally. So it's one of those things rewatching it, and I'm like, ah, no, not really. Yeah, I don't like a Batman who kills, it feels against the character. But at the same time, like you said, it's really funny in this movie for some <laughs> reason. I think it's just like, again, this movie's pretty dark, but at times it's just so wacky. Where you're just like, oh okay, yeah, that might as well happen. <laughs> like it just it brings you to just a little bit of a Joker smile on your face. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> and you know me personally, it does the whole Batman killing thing doesn't bother me as long as it's not part of his character. Like if he says, you know, I can't kill people, and then he turns around and very obviously kills somebody, that's annoying. But it's pretty clear that Keaton's Batman really doesn't care, so <laughs> it doesn't bother me as bad. Yeah. Uh, but I do get where you're coming from. But we just talked about a Joker-like smile. Let's talk mm. about the man who had that Joker-like smile throughout the movie. Jack Nicholson as Jack Napier slash the Joker. Let's stay away from his backstory as much as we can here. Let's just talk about him as the Joker. How do you feel about him? I'm going to say something that might oh, no. bring me under fire. It's going to be a I think I know where you're going. Hot take, and I have to explain myself, but hear me out. Heath Ledger is phenomenal as the Joker. I have nothing bad to say about his performance. It's absolutely iconic. I personally like Nicholson just a little bit better. Because he's having so much fun with it. And it, I can't help but have fun watching him do it. I I know where you're coming from. And I think <laughs> it's a bit like Batman, right? To where yeah. I don't think there's been a horrendous performance apart from he sh- who shall not be named. A- oh yes, AKA Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah. uh, but apart from Leto, I don't think there's been a bad performance. I think Joaquin Phoenix brought something to the character. I think Heath Ledger brought something to the character. I think Jack Nicholson did a very good job at. See, here's the thing too with Jack Nicholson, him and Willem Dafoe had to play these crazy characters, these crazy villains mm-hmm. with no blueprint. They had no idea on how serious they should be. Yep. on how how crazy they should go with it, like how far across that line that should they walk. And I think both of them do a masterclass job. Oh, yes, in absolutely. In that regard. Like, they do such a good job just walking that line. They go to being wacky, and then they'll be terrifying the next moment. I do think I prefer, like, a more Willem Dafoe kind of performance just because I felt like there was a few more serious moments. Mm-hmm. Of him being terrifying. But none of that's on Jack Nicholson. Like, Jack Nicholson really did look like he was having the time of his life here. Oh, absolutely. Playing the Joker. And that's something something that I think you can look at this movie and then go watch something like The Dark Knight and be like, okay, this is just two different visions of the Joker. Both can be equally good. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's something else. Every time a new Joker performance comes out, especially post-2008, everybody has to compare it to Heath Ledger, when the truth is, you can't. Because most of the time they are so different that you can't, it's not really fair. I mean, it really is like apples and oranges. Like, it's such a different version of Joker. Um, like, Heath Ledger's obviously a better performance. Like, it's, it's layered better and, like you said, has more serious moments and he's scary for sure. But this Joker, especially if you look back at, like, the Golden Age comics, who he, his motivation is just anarchy. You know, even Heath Ledger's Joker is trying to make a statement. This Joker's just, I, I think it's funny, so I'm going to do it. And from a story perspective, maybe that's not the strongest, but I would lie if I say it's not really, really entertaining. Just the museum scene alone. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is just, if you need to show somebody, like, okay, one scene from this movie that shows how good Jack Nicholson was as the Joker, that museum scene might be it. Oh, yeah. The TV segments, too. Oh, absolutely. he's taking over for the news. And just, all that is just, it's so good, and you contrast that with The Dark Knight, and this this terrifying, almost, I don't even say almost, a decently realistic version of The Joker, which was the whole point of it, a grounded and realistic version. And again, like I said earlier, like both can be equally as good for different reasons. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I don't yeah. want Heath Ledger doing anything Jack Nicholson did because it wouldn't fly, and I wouldn't want anything that Heath, uh, Jack, Heath Ledger did in Jack Nicholson's movie because it would make yeah. the movie too much of a bummer to watch. Absolutely, yes. Um, like, you know, Ledger is absolutely iconic, but Nicholson, in my opinion, is one of the more one-of-a-kind performances in terms of the actual, like, you know, live-action movies. He really does stand on his own, I feel, in the best way possible. Yeah, not only that, I think one thing that you have as a constant throughout his performance is you have him doing all these crazy things, but meanwhile, he has just that crooked smile fixed the entire time and they do a brilliant job throughout the movie of making joker put on makeup the matches former skin tone oh it just looks so weird and i think it was so great of a move just because it makes that it gives you that underlying feeling of man that just looks creepy and then he's just doing all these crazy things that's making you kind of like it's entertaining but still you're like what the hell is this guy gonna do next yeah, it's like, do I laugh at him or do I cower yes. in fear? It's it's exactly. Um, and like you said, talk about the makeup. The scene where you see him in his flesh makeup, I'll call it for the first time. You know, you see the gangsters talking, and he one of them says something about why do you have the stupid smile on your face? And it just cuts to him sitting there. It's like I said, it scared me as a kid, but now part of me really does want to laugh, and I feel like that's the point you're supposed to. But it's so good. Yeah, man. And we're going to be sitting here all day if we just talk about the two main leads and their performances and great moments from them. So let's just go ahead and get into some other things from this movie. And let's talk about Vicky Vale. Alright, let's talk about Vicky Vale first, then we'll go back to the Joker. What do you think about Vicky Vale in this movie? I liked her. Um, My problem with her is with a lot of, you know, comic book movies and well just comic books in general back in the day is you kind of have this damsel in distress kind of thing you know like some one moment she'll be strong and you know can fend for herself and then the next moment she needs batman to come and save her and that's honestly a little distracting i I do agree i've had some issues with some movies in the past just with that trope because i just Mm. feel like it's also just ever used period oh yeah and I, i just think like okay i want characters to be competent yeah. Actually, them feeling like characters. And Vicky Vale sometimes doesn't feel like a character to me. Sometimes oh, no. she just feels like, oh, she's just the love interest for Bruce. And that's unfortunate. But you know what it is? You gotta also look at context, right? 1989, for one of the first big superhero movies. Yep. You kinda gotta look at the context and be like, yeah, that could've been better. Also, it could've been a lot damn worse. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. I think Kim Basinger did a pretty good job as Vicky Vale. There were some moments there, too, to where Vicky Vale was a very competent uh, mm-hmm. photographer. And Knox, as well, who starts out as a sleazeball. I do like his character, as well, by the end of the movie. He kind of feels like he grows a little bit. He really does. And I think he grows because of Vicky Vale. Uh, especially, you know, when they first meet each other, she stands up to him, she shuts down his advances, and she's very, you know, powerful in that regard. And then again, you know, when she meets up Joker, she's just completely, for the most part, just totally useless, and she needs Batman to come and save her. And that's the kind of, not Kim Basinger's fault, I think she does great, but it's just the way the character's written, it definitely needs some work. Yeah, I think that is far the weakest part of the movie, along with Bruce and Vicky's romance. Yeah. Especially because they're like, yeah, I I love you. I love you too. And I just sat there alone in my room going, it's been a fucking week. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, Vicky, you woke up to this man hanging like a bat. And you're like, I love him. Literally. Okay, Vicky, you need to get some confidence in yourself. You know, it almost makes her seem shallow in a way. Because, again, when she's first introduced talking to, you know, Knox, it's... She's like, oh, she went to the Corto Maltese and saw all this terrible stuff and took pictures of it. You know, she's very independent. And then it's like she goes to Wayne Manor, sees all this, you know, billionaire stuff. And then all of a sudden she's just like a switch. And she's like, oh, yeah, I I want Bruce Wayne. And it's like, oh, really? Come on. Yeah, I think that's probably the weakest part of the movie, along with mm-hmm. some motivational stuff with Bruce and Joker. Like, it, I think it asks a lot of Batman fans to fill in the blanks. 
Yeah. Like, okay, we know Batman has this crusade, and he feels like he has to do this. But, for instance, take the Batman Begins origin movie. Mm-hmm. That gives you a direct motivation for why Bruce does what he does. You see him, how he obtains all his gear and all that stuff. And you see the story of how he becomes Batman. Now, granted, you don't see that here and you weren't supposed to. But it really relies a lot on the audience to know who Batman is. And I think it's the same thing for the Joker and Batman and their whole dynamic. Because it asks the audience to be like, okay, Joker and Batman don't like each other. They're not going to really talk about each other every scene. It'll be yeah. a few scenes. They'll be like, yeah, we got to stop the Joker. Or Joker will be like, I don't like this Batman guy, but he's obsessed with him. But he's kind of not. He's more obsessed with Vicky. Yeah. And so it's really asking the audience to be on board with, okay, you, you as the audience member know that Batman and Joker are kind of obsessed with each other. You know who yeah. Batman is. All that stuff. So I think that's another fault of the film. Yeah, especially when you look at the context of when it came out, because like I mentioned earlier, for the casual fan, when they thought back, you know, back in 89, when they thought Batman, they thought the Adam West, you know, they didn't read the comics, you know, as a casual fan, they didn't know just how important this dynamic was. And so the movie didn't really explain it as well. It's just, hey, you know who the Joker is, you know who Batman is, that's all you need to know. Uh, I feel like there could have been a little bit more there. Uh, and the movie does add something about Batman's backstory. Um, and I'm pretty sure this is the only one movie to do this or comic to do this. I may be wrong, but in a flashback showing Bruce's parents dying, it reveals that the Joker was the one who did it. And I'm not sure how I feel about that, honestly. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly what I want to talk about next. Let's talk about Jack Napier. So this movie gives Joker a backstory. That he was a gangster, and he gets betrayed, and he falls into that vat of acid, created by Batman. But, in a bit of irony, Joker is the one who creates Batman to begin with, all those years ago. Which, I know that's been a contested thing throughout just nerddom, geekdom, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Of whether or not they should have done this, or whether or not it was a good decision. Where I land on it, I actually like it, to be honest. I don't know if it would work for every single tale, but for this movie, I kind of like the bit of irony there. Of Joker creates Batman, Batman creates Joker, and they realize it at the end. I do think Joker realizes it a little too quickly, where he's like, Batman's Batman's like, oh, you killed my parents. Oh, I did that when I was young. That was two seconds later. You put all that together? (laughs) He's Bruce Wayne? Like, Knox and Vicky Vale didn't even know who (laughs) Bruce Wayne was at the beginning of the movie. Damn, Joker's smart. (laughs) Which, to be fair, it's really, really quick. But there is a part when Bruce is reading Jack Napier's criminal file, and he says he has a genius intellect. But still, it's like he's killed so many people. It's like, oh, yeah, obviously I know who you are. Like, I may have killed a lot of people, but... They're the only parents I've killed. Like, come on. (laughs) So, uh, that part aside, I do actually like this backstory here. And I do like the idea of there being this gangster who's just trying to rise up the ranks. And him falling to the vat of acid, who's already, like, he was a little mentally unstable. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you're talking about in that dossier Bruce gets. That's where it's revealed, like, he was already mentally unstable. And this vat of acid it just broke him the betrayal that the trauma from that it all just broke him entirely and now he's just absolutely on a rampage throughout gotham and that that's the part of it i fucking love going from a somewhat insane gangster to oh no we've unleashed evil like pure evil yes on the city and i don't know how you stop it yeah and and to kind of talk about that, we were talking earlier how there's not a lot of motivation. With the Joker, I think it's the exception. Because before the Vat of Acid, his whole thing is he wants to take out Grissom himself and run the criminal empire. But once that happened, he falls into the Vat of Acid, he becomes a Joker. He kills Grissom, but then he's just, I just want to cause chaos. Like, why does he want to poison Gotham's uh, beauty supplies? Why does he want to do the parade? It's because he's 
insane. And with the Joker, I think it works. Just there's no real rhyme or reason. He just does it. Well, it also, I, I do think it fits with the character. I think when we were coming into mm-hmm. this episode, I was kind of thinking like, yeah, the motivations aren't really there. But as we've been talking about it, I actually do think it does fit with this version of the Joker mm-hmm. who had this plan for himself of what he was going to be. And then he gets betrayed by Grissom. So he enacts his revenge on Grissom. And then what's next? And kind of just, again, with the mental instability and everything, nothing really matters to him. Yeah. For him, everything is extra. Nothing really matters. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I please. Exactly. It's amusing to him. He's not trying to spread a message. He's not trying to, you know, make people see how he's really been the sane one the whole time. He knows he's insane. He thinks it's funny. And he's going to show everybody how funny he is, so to speak. And comparing this again to The Dark Knight, I think one of the biggest themes of this podcast episode here is us going, yeah, things can be equally as good, but Mm -hmm. vastly different. Heath Ledger's Joker was trying to prove a point to Batman. That yes. human beings are cruel, and they will always choose themselves. None of that's really here. No. It, it shouldn't be, for what this story is. This very bare-bones story with some fun action, some comedy, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And something else about this Joker is he is so egotistical in the best way. Like, he just put... Not only does he have his goons, and we'll talk about that a little later, but they all have his face on their jackets. All of their cars are painted his colors. He's just, like I mentioned, he's so egotistical, and he's so insane, and he loves it. He just wants people to know who he is, basically. Yeah. And on the surface level, we talked about Joker, but I think we should also talk about his goons. Yes. Because, man, one of the best parts of this movie, one of the most underrated parts of this movie, is Joker's goons. And just the fact they buy in 100%. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They take their job very seriously. And I love it. I mean, and it's little things like near the end of the movie, during the parade scene, right after Batman takes his, um, takes his balloons. If you pay attention when he's climbing off the float, there's a goon on his hands and knees that Joker just walks on like a step. It's really quick and it's easy to miss, but it just cracks me up. Like, why is he doing that? He didn't need to do that. He just did it. Dude, the museum scene, just to bring that back up. Like, <laughs> dude, all the people in there who are just defacing these paintings yeah. and doing all the little things in there like, is so funny. It's so good. <laughs> you're just looking at the actors' faces and you're just like, what are y'all doing? Like, this is. I mean, they're having a ball with it. <laughs> I know. And uh, the one, I guess. It's safe to call him Joker's right-hand man, and I think he's the only goon with a name, is Bob. You know, he was right there next to Napier the whole time, and when Napier became Joker, he's, again, just right there. And he's... <laughs> something about him just cracks me up. He's always laughing at his jokes. He's always... Just Bob buys doing. He's a yeah, perfect second-in-command. He really <laughs> is. He's He does everything that's asked of him. He does an excellent job in doing so. And he reports back, and then what does he get for all his troubles? He gets shot <laughs> yes. for it at the end. And that's something I really love about the movie, too, because it's that trope of, you're my second command, I could never lose you. And Joker just kills him. He doesn't fight <laughs> Batman in the end or anything. It's just like, okay, yeah. Joker, that's where we're it's going. It's funny, <laughs> he kills him because he wants to be upset. If you Because Batman takes his balloons, and then he shoots Bob, and he just says, all right, boys, I'm going to need a minute. Like, (laughs) there's no reason for it. It's just perfectly Joker. I love it so much. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. It does feel like a perfect Joker moment to where they build up the second in command the whole movie, and you're like, okay, this is actually a character Joker cares about. Yeah, at the very end, it's just like, nah, shoots him. (laughs) He wasn't that important after. No, clearly not. It's (laughs) it's so good, man. All right, what's next on our topic list here? I'm not looking at the document. Uh, Best Batman moments. Oof. Yeah. Best Batman moment. I gotta say, I know it's cliche, and this isn't a Batman moment, it's a Bruce Wayne moment, where Bruce is confron- confronting the Joker, and it's the, you wanna oh, the, get nuts, let's get nuts. Let's get nuts, yeah. Because absolutely. it starts out with him just flexing 
on Joker here. And he's like, I know who you are. Yes. You're a psychopath. And I'm going to stop you. And then he just goes from zero to ten. On the, I can get just as crazy as you. Let's fucking do it. And I love that scene. <laughs> you know, and I feel like that calls back to what we mentioned earlier, how Batman is unhinged. And I think that's a perfect example of it. He's just, I don't know if he's trying to intimidate Joker, but he just completely snaps and breaks the vase and starts screaming at him. It's so iconic and for a good reason. Michael Keaton just eats it in the best way possible. What's your favorite Batman moment? Uh, again, this is kind of cliched, but the I'm Batman scene. And it's not just because that's an awesome line, because it is. But it's just, I feel like the opening of this, well, Batman's introduction is one of the best introductions of a character in a movie. Um, I, I would put it up there with Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, just because it, you see it from the point of view of these criminals, these muggers. And for most of it, you just see Batman's shadow and they're freaked out. You see perfectly everything you need to know that they're afraid of Batman and he's this, a myth at this point. And then it just ends with that classic I'm Batman line and it's history was made. I feel like just after that scene alone. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I hate to be the podcast that where we just talking about the cliche moments that everybody loves, but they're cliche for a reason. I mean, they're oh, yeah. great moments. Yeah, absolutely. I like the scene as well, wherever he's using the Batwing. The last action sequence of the movie. Oh, I love the Batwing sequence. I, I love awesome. the Batwing. That and the Batmobile chase sequence. Oh, oh that goes Those are really good. It's absolutely. You know, the Batwing is actually coming back in the Flash movie, an updated version of it. And I doubt it's going to compare to this scene, but I, I hope it's at least just a fraction of cool as this Batwing scene is, because it's really something special. What I find really funny is when... We're thinking about, like, best Batman moments. It's a lot of, okay, I like this action sequence. I like this moment. Or I like yeah. this moment of Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. Batman doesn't really talk a whole lot. I'm thinking back here. He doesn't. And I feel like that's intentional. And I, I like that he's a mysterious character. He probably... But you know where I'm, thinking, where I'm coming from here? Because it seems like people remember him talking more. I think so. Um... And I think it's the voice, maybe, because Michael Keaton was one of the first to give Bruce and Batman a different voice. I think it's just people are remembering that really cool voice and expect him to talk through the whole movie. But Batman, in the costume, really doesn't have that much to say. What are your favorite Joker moments? My favorite Joker moment, and this is again talking about how he's kind of creepy, is when he you first see him as the Joker. Like, he does the whole surgery... And he goes after Grissom. Because for a good chunk of that scene, you barely see his face. Like, you almost just see the smile until he finally walks into the light, takes his hat off, and says, you can call me Joker. And then he starts shooting him in all these goofy ways and just starts laughing about it. Again, that's just a perfect way to describe this character. Because he's scary, but then he turns around and does something just completely off the wall. And it absolutely perfect Joker. Yeah, I don't have too much to add here. Really, anything the Joker does in this well, movie yeah. can be considered a favorite <laughs> moment. It's just so fun. And I feel bad saying that because he's doing terrible things. Exactly. But you're just yes. like, man, Jack Nicholson's having the time of his fucking life. It's hard not to just be entertained by this movie. And yes. that's the thing, right, about Batman 1989. I can sit here and be an asshole. And be like, yeah, the story's a bit stiff, and I wish there was some better motivations here and there, and I wish they gave a little bit more to Joker figuring out that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and mm. all this stuff. I wish they could have done better with Vicky Vale. But when you watch the movie, it's just hard not to have a smile on your face. Exactly. It's, you know, a lot of people say, it's like, oh, it's just a popcorn flick, and it's usually just a way to, you know, defend a movie that maybe not that great. This is a popcorn flick in the best way possible. It's not yes. trying to say anything. It's nothing you know special, but it's just so absolutely entertaining. Let's talk about the ending here. Mm -hmm. We talked about the Batwing sequence and Joker's big thing with the floats. And he wanted to give out, what, was it $200 million, if I remember correctly? I think it was $20 million, which Okay, $20 million. Okay. 
Still a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, which it's scripted. Um, the way it was scripted and the way the comic ad- adaptation was was it wasn't real money, because people go okay. and pick it up and it has Joker's face on it. But you don't really see that. In yeah, the- in the final project product, you don't see that, and everybody seems to be happy even when they get the money. So I'm pretty sure, in my mind anyway, I'm just gonna say it's Grissom's money because that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Because. You know, he he's the head of the Grissom Empire, and like we mentioned earlier, he doesn't care about it, so obviously he would literally throw the money away. Yeah, and he'd pr- he said like he was going to go into retirement, so maybe that means he kept some. Oh, I'm sure himself. he did, yeah. But either way, we have that Batwing sequence. We get Joker versus Batman. Joker pulls out a comically large revolver <laughs> to shoot down the Batwing. <laughs> Again, that's just that's Joker. That is <laughs> yeah. Joker to a T, and I love it. Then he kidnaps Vicky Vale. They go to the top of a cathedral, which is the final showdown between mm-hmm. Batman and Joker. And I love this ending too because I don't mean to keep comparing this in the Dark Knight, but I find <laughs> there being like fun comparisons with it because yeah. the same thing kind of happens. Towards whenever there's an actual Batman versus Joker confrontation, no bullshit. No dogs to fight off Batman in the Dark Knight. No goons yep. to fight off Batman in ni- 1989. Batman just beats the shit out of him. Oh, as absolutely. As he should. And I think yeah. it's a great move there. And it just it was kind of fun to see that come, come up at that point. And not only that, you see some of Joker's gags come up. Like he actually punches some fake teeth out. Yes. <laughs> and then right it's right before he starts fighting with Batman he's messing around with Vicky he points a gun to his head and he pulls the trigger and has the bang flag yeah. like come on that's just classic we already talked about the damsel in distress thing. <laughs> I will give the yeah. movie credit it's where they do set up that Vicky Vale does faint a lot yeah so I will give credit to the movie there because <laughs> I bought her actually fainting in that moment so that was a great moment as well, especially too whenever they get to the top and he uh, uses his acid flower to knock the bell yes. down. So a and, great ending, man. And we're not even at Joker's death. That's the thing. No, yeah, it's just a great ending sequence, a great final fight for Batman versus the Joker. And I like it too because before the fight, you have Batman climbing the stairs trying to get to Joker, and even that, you know, you feel the stakes. Like, is he going to get there in time? Joker's so unpredictable at this point, he could easily just throw Vicky off the top, and yeah, it would be perfectly in this character, so you're really rooting for Batman to get up there, and then, like you say, he uses the acid for the bell, and that just makes it even harder for him to get up there, and then when he finally does, you just want to cheer, because finally, you get this final confrontation. And not only that, one thing I love about Michael Keaton's performance here is throughout the movie, Batman's kind of been portrayed as this mythical creature. Mm-hmm. Police don't think he's existed. The criminals are the only ones really talking about him. Knox has kind of made fun of at work about it. Yep. And the criminals, or some criminals, uh, I think it's Joker's goons, catch up to him once and shoot him twice. He's got armor on. He, so how the hell are you supposed to kill this guy? Then you have the Batwing crash, and he is struggling to get to oh, the top yeah. of this cathedral. I love that. It's a small little detail that for a movie that doesn't have a lot of small details, I think yeah. that was a very expertly crafted one there by Michael Keaton to where he's just like, I just crashed a plane. I'm not going <laughs> to act like I did. I just walked in perfectly. Fine. Yeah. I mean, he's bloodied. His suits all beat up. He actually, before he gets to the stairs, when he gets to the cathedral, he actually falls and knocks over a bunch of chairs. And that's how Joker realizes that he's there. He's like you said, he's really struggling, and it makes him a lot more realistic, I guess you could say. Yeah, and then once he gets to the top, he fights Joker, all that stuff. And then there's this big thing to where Joker falls over, Batman and Vicky fall over as well because Joker was playing possum. And this is a controversial moment for at least for me, whereas Joker dies, and I think mm-hmm. Batman is at fault. <laughs> oh, yeah, day. Batman kills Joker. Batman's, I mean, I'm going to straight up say it, Batman kills the Joker. It may not have been directly, but yeah. I don't like Joker dying in this movie. I know mm. that this wasn't setting up anything long term, and I'm looking through 2023 eyes, 
I, I just I don't like the idea of Joker dying in the first Batman movie. Yeah. And also Batman being at fault. Especially too with what I thought was being set up as a we're destined to do this forever. Because I can't yeah. also stop quoting the Dark Knight in this yeah. episode. <laughs> it's a quotable movie. I mean, I don't blame it you. It is. <laughs> so, but that's what this movie also felt like it was building up, was that kind of dynamic to where we're destined to do this forever. They're starting to yeah. become a bit obsessed with each other throughout the whole movie. And you mentioned when you were talking about the Let's Get Nuts scene and Batman being a bit unhinged. And this is just my stupid fan theory. I wonder if Batman kind of looks at Joker and, the, like, what he is doing. And obviously he's like, oh, this guy's got to be stopped. There's a yeah. bit of him, a small part of him that's like, he can be himself. I can't. I agree. Um, Because, you know, usually when you have the Joker-Batman dynamic, you have Joker's obsessed with Batman. Batman's not obsessed with him, he just wants to stop him. But in this movie, Batman's... I would argue just as obsessed, especially when he finds out that he killed his parents. Yep. It feels very mutual. Really, oh, yeah. And like you said, that's a really good way to look at it because Batman, or Bruce, when he looks at Joker, he could say, that could easily be me. Maybe not as insane, but like that could be me. And he's allowed to do whatever he wants, and I have to put on a mask to do it. Um, that's a really good way to look at it. And that's a big reason why I don't care about the ending in this movie, because... You just take them off the board. Not yeah. only, and I'm not even coming at this from a creative cinematic universe because that's a stupid take in 2023 yeah. to say about a 1989 movie. Absolutely. But yeah. if you're sitting here and you make Batman in 1989, you take Jack Nicholson off the board for a sequel? Really? That seems like just a dumb move. Unless it was requested by Jack Nicholson, maybe. Which it could have been. I'm surpri- Looking back, I'm surprised he even did a comic book movie. But apparently he looks back on it really fondly. But I guess back in 89, nobody would have expected that. Because Jack Nicholson was the bigger star. He was even credited above Michael Keaton. And so to see him die at the end, like maybe that just really threw everybody for a loop. Maybe that was the idea. Yeah, could be. I mean, it was very surprising as a kid, for sure. Watching oh, yeah. the movie. I didn't expect Joker to die. What are your oh, thoughts no. on this ending, man? Um, I, as far as Joker dying, I really understand where you're coming from. Uh, I, I wish we could have seen more of Jack Nicholson's Joker. Like you said, just looking at it through the today's lens, I wish there could have been more, at least one more sequel with him. Which apparently he was going to come back uh, if the fifth Batman movie was going to be made. Yeah, it was going to be Batman Triumphant. Triumphant, yeah. Yeah, it was going to have, like you said, I think it was supposed to be Nicolas Cage as Scarecrow. And it was going to be all of his past villains. It would have been Riddler, Two-Face, Joker, and also Harley Quinn would have been part of it, I believe, if I remember correctly. Now, Brandon, I'm basing all of that off of a article I did for the Nerd Stash like three or four years ago. <laughs> yeah, I actually did it. I don't know. I can't remember if it was for the Nerd Stash or not. I think it was, but I did an article too uh, mentioning it. Uh, I feel like Harley was supposed to be Joker's daughter originally, like in this script. Yeah. Um, And then again, like, this was just a plan. That doesn't mean Nicholson would have went for it. It could have been, you know, somebody else, but, but I wish we could have seen more of him, but as far as the death itself... It actually creeped me out as a kid, just because when he lands and you hear that laughing, that little voice box in his jacket, that just really freaked me out. Yeah. And I'm right there with you. It freaked me out, too. Yeah. And I think it's just a good... I get where you're coming from, like, we wish he wouldn't have died, but if he did die, I think it was a good shot to end on, because his eyes were wide open, he has that smile, and you still hear the laugh, even though he's dead. And I feel like that's a good ending for the character, if he had to die. Yeah, and I guess you couldn't say something to Joker being Batman's first big supervillain and it changing Batman. It putting him into the limelight. So I think you could make a case for, hey, here's why it was good to kill him off. But I'm just thinking of it from a business perspective of, yeah, you could run back for Batman Returns. Maybe Michael Keaton doesn't leave after Batman Returns and you could do a part three. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've 
Go ahead. I was just going to say, looking back, there, I feel like there could have been more to do with Nichols and Joker. Uh, so it is a shame they killed him off in hindsight. Yeah. Especially, again, because just the talent of Jet Nicholson. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's not something yeah. you want to get a waste that there's still more meat on the bone there. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to end this on a bad note, so let's talk about our favorite and least favorite moments. We don't really have any least favorite moments. Anything you want to talk about that we didn't already mention in this episode here? Oh, man. Favorite moments. Uh, It's so hard. We already talked about, like, 99%. It's, <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll say this that we haven't talked about. The last shot of the movie is one of my favorite shots in any Batman movie. Just you see the bat signal hit the sky for the first time, and you just see Batman standing on the edge of the building looking up at it with that Danny Elfman score playing. It's that's of all the movies, that's my favorite Batman shot, if nothing else. Yeah, you kinda of stole mine. <laughs> that was gonna be mine too. <laughs> oh, well <laughs> I would also Sorry say favorite that. moments Billy D. Williams is hard with that. Talked about oh, him absolutely. all the way at the beginning of this episode. Yep. I didn't remember him being that big of a character. He's still not a massive character in the movie, but I remembered him only having like one or two scenes. No, he's in a few. Quite a few. Like we mentioned, it's they're kind of subtle about it, but Two-Face is kind of there. Especially if you watch when uh, Joker takes over the news broadcast and they're all kind of looking at him. There's this look on his face. like There's that darkness in there, just wanting to be let out. And it's, I feel like that's one of the biggest missed opportunities in comic book movie history, to be completely honest with you. It's not, I don't want to say, because maybe, uh, as much as I like Billy Dee Williams, maybe it would have been a miscast and, oh yeah, you couldn't have pulled it off. But I just wanted to see if he could, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's one of those, like, I wanted to see if he could, because they set it up very well. And that's not Mm -hmm. a shot to Tommy Lee Jones, I just didn't like the direction. Tommy Lee Jones is fantastic. Oh yeah. One of the best actors in the past 50 years. Absolutely. feel very confident in saying that. But him and Batman Forever, just it was too damn wacky. It was too out there, and he just did <laughs> you not know, really fit it. He can't, you can see, like, he brought it. Yeah, but for sure. It just it didn't fit what Billy D. Williams was setting up, for example. Yeah. And, you know, I, I actually like Tommy Lee Jones in Forever just because it's so wacky. But when you're... When you're acting next to Jim Carrey and he seems like the sane one, clearly you might need to dial it back a little bit. Uh, it was way different than what Williams would have done for sure. He would have been more suave. That's just the way I took it, a lot darker. And it's a shame we never got to see it. Yep. But we would get to see a Two-Face eventually. That wasn't Tommy yeah. Jones. In 2008's The Dark <laughs> It took a while. Just to bring up one last reference. So let's go to our final thoughts on Batman 1989. I guess I'll start because I think you're going to be far more positive on the movie, which isn't even a shot of my feelings on it. I think this is a damn good movie. I think it's Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. I think it is a bit rough around the edges. Absolutely. I think it leaves a lot to be desired in terms of a story. And I think they could be doing better with characters like Vicky Vale and also mm-hmm. with some motivational things here. Uh, but overall, man, this movie nails a fine line tone between being too wacky and serious. Mm-hmm. It brought Batman back to being a darker character. The performances of the two main leads are simply, no exaggeration, legendary. Oh, absolutely. Jack Nicholson will be remembered for many performances from Mm -hmm. The Shining to Batman 1989 for a good reason. And the same goes for Michael Keaton as Batman. There's a reason that people grew up thinking Michael Keaton is my Batman. And there's a reason people think he is the best. And it's because of performance like this to where he came in, like you said, Donnie, a comedy actor that was a bit a bit of an underdog let's say that oh yeah at the time especially and you could say the same i can throw one more dark knight reference here for heath ledger oh absolutely as a romantic comedy and a bit of an underdog don't underestimate these actors getting cast in batman movies people that's what i think the lesson Uh. to be learned from today's show is because they will make you eat your words 
I mean, with the Batman movies, that has happened many times. You have Keaton as Batman, people ate their words. Heath Ledger as Joker, people ate their words. Ben Affleck as Batman, I personally feel like he did fantastic. Um, even if the scripts he was given wasn't the best, his performance was really good. And then, more recently, Robert Pattinson. People, hate, they're like, oh, really? The guy from Twilight? And then look what happened. He's, I mean, blew everybody away. And just, uh, you always root for the underdog. <laughs> yep. I mean, I think, that's a, I think that's a lesson to be learned. Do not underestimate these Batman actors. Yeah. Who anybody cast in the Batman movies, to be fair. Exactly. Just, just give them a shot. As history has told us, and nothing else, give them a shot. So, Donnie, what are your final thoughts on Batman 1989? Like I mentioned earlier, it is my favorite Batman movie. And I think I should probably go into a little deeper of why that is. Is it the best made Batman movie? No, of course not. The Dark Knight trilogy is way better made, better written, better directed, better acted. Uh, The Batman is, I mean, close to being flawless in my eyes. But one thing that this movie does that the other ones didn't is it's not ashamed to be a comic book movie. It's dark, it's gritty, but it knows its roots, and it's not afraid to embrace those roots. Um, I feel like, the, especially the Nolan trilogy, you know, it's very dark and realistic, but a lot of Batman characters probably couldn't exist in those movies, just because it's maybe too realistic, just the way they're made. But Batman 89, from the look of Gotham to Joker being Joker, it's dark, but it's not ashamed of what it used to be. And that's why, personally, it's my favorite movie. Batman movie. Can't argue with that. Really can't. Because there's a lot of valid <laughs> points he threw out there. But before we go, I kind of want to talk about The Flash. Yeah. We got a little bit of time. This episode's probably going to be going out the day that The Flash hits theaters. I just want to get your thoughts on how you're feeling about The Flash going in. How you're feeling about seeing Michael Keaton as Batman again. Basically, what are you expecting here? Are you going to tamper your expectations? Are you just going to be happy to see Keaton in the Batsuit one last time? I think that's probably me. I'm just going to be happy to see him again. And I'm, I'm just lead the... I'm going to give you the floor here. Um. So what I'm getting ready to say, you have to understand, is for the movie itself. I'm not going to mention any actors in the movie. Um. But as for the movie itself, I'm tampering my expectations just a little bit. Just because... The track record with the DCEU isn't fantastic, um, but this movie is... The, the rumor is that it's going to reset everything and open the door for James Gunn to come in and do his thing. But the thing I'm most excited for is Michael Keaton as Batman. Odds are he's probably not going to get a ton of screen time. That's just my guess. But because the Batgirl movie was canceled, this is probably going to be the last chance we're going to get to see it. And... It's something I'll, I think a lot of people never would have expected to happen. And so, even if the movie isn't great, the fact that we're getting this is pretty exciting to me. Yeah. It really is. It's a bit like Joker in this movie. Towards he fell into that vat of acid, everything after is extra to him. So <laughs> Exactly. Everything we get with Michael Keaton as Batman is extra to us, because previously all we had was Batman 1989 and Batman Returns. I just, I know it's going to be filled with nostalgia lines. I know it's going to be filled with a bunch of moments to make Michael Keaton's Batman look cool. Which isn't that hard to do because he's already really cool to begin with. Yeah, just have him walk into a room. Yeah. I'm also just (laughs) glad that he's in a better suit. (laughs) His suit is, even if, because I actually watched Batman Returns too, even though we're not talking about it. I just, I had to. Mm -hmm. His suit in that movie evens it quite a bit better. He still can't turn his head. But it's still, it's a huge step up from the last one. Um, And I've kind of mentioned what you said. It's going to be filled with nostalgic lines. Watching the trailers when he said, yeah, I'm Batman. Or when he said, let's get nuts. I should have rolled my eyes, but I couldn't help it. I was grinning like a little kid again. And hearing that theme and seeing Michael Keaton walk out, it's, I know it's uh, fan service, but I, I couldn't help it. Look forward to it. Where I think the movie is going to succeed is if they make Barry Allen the focus in the Flash movie, you know, yeah. like it should be. <laughs> Shocker, right? Flash is the focus of a Flash movie? Being about the character of the Flash. Take note, CW. Uh, <laughs> it, 
But if they make Barry the focus and you have a great emotional story with Barry and his mother, and then on the other side you have these moments of nostalgia with Michael Keaton's Batman to where he still feels a bit uh, like less of a cameo, more of a character, a bit mm-hmm. like No Way Home. But let's go ahead and get out of here, man. Let's talk about what we're working on and where can people find us. Donnie, what you're working on and where can people find you? As always, I am a list article writer at thenerdstash.com. Uh, definitely go check us out there. And then you can also find me on Twitter at ObsessedCinema underscore. I want to thank Donnie for joining me. I want to thank anyone for listening in. We're still getting back on track and we will be for the next few weeks. Next week, we will have our spoiler talk on The Flash. The week after that, we will have a spoiler talk on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which we have already recorded. And boy, oh boy, it was a long one, Donnie. Uh, (laughs) Before editing, it was three hours. Wow. Well, there's a lot to talk about. There is. There was a whole lot to talk about. So... (laughs) Just expect a long one next week, guys. Or two weeks from now. Uh, But we will see you next week with our Flash spoiler talk. See you then.